Hey, this is Carlion Wilson, and I'm the Section 2 Hyphen Coordinator, and this podcast you're about to listen to is our latest installment of our Hyphen Conversation. Our guest is Pastor Matt Tuttle. We hope this blesses you. guests for our, I, I think, about our 10th tenth, tenth installment of Hyphen Conversations, 10th installment, and so we're thankful that you're here, and so we'll just get right into it. For about 30 to 40 seconds, can you kind of give us a quick snapshot of your life, uh, just some something quick? <laughs> well, I'm 38 years old, uh, 40 seconds. I was born in Portland, Oregon, and uh, then we moved to the mission field to the Netherlands when I was uh, 17 months old. We lived there. I lived there till I was 17. My parents are still missionaries. So, um, but anyway, so I was raised there. We started churches. Um, when I went there, there was one other person that was uh, a believer as we are. Um, she was 81 years old. So we had one person that we started with in the city of Amsterdam. And dad started a church there. We started a church in The Egg. We started a church in Rotterdam and Dordrecht, four different churches. Um, so growing up, it was very, very uh, small um, churches wise and um, challenging you know you're in a different country different culture then I came back moved to uh, Indiana Bible College went to IBC and then I started working in uh, Fort Wayne I was assistant uh, pastor and then youth pastor and evangelized moved to Texas and uh, went to Holland went back to Holland and pastored there for five years before I pastored in uh, Texas where I am now I felt like you've lived like five lives. (laughs) Yeah, I've been to every state in the Union, almost every country in Europe, Asia, Africa. God's been good. I I have a great life. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So we always ask everybody that comes here um, and and does these hyphen conversations, but we always ask this question because everybody in this room has had something hilarious happen to them in church. And I always say the funniest things happen in church, the most powerful moves of God, the most crazy experiences happen in church, the awesome power and the mighty uh, miracles of God happen, but also the funniest things happen in church. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) What was the funniest thing you've ever seen happen? Funniest thing, that's a great question. I've seen a lot of funny things happen in church. (laughs) Uh, Scary things, funny things. um, But, and one of them, I was there, it's kind of become, maybe you've heard of it, but it was like at a watch night service. Uh, where they, you know, we pray in the old, uh, the new year, pray out the old, so you're there uh, around midnight. Some churches are still doing that, and it's really cool. Um, but we always had uh, communion, foot washing. It was very spiritual moments, and um, so we would have, usually we'd have tongues interpretation, and so tongues went forth, and someone spoke in tongues, and then this lady stood up and said, thus saith the Lord, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. <laughs> And that was funny. <laughs> I was just, there's so many. I could, we could write a book, yeah. but uh, that was a great one. Awesome. Awesome. Now, um, as young adults, this is probably the, if not the first question you ask yourself once you turn 18 or, or 21, whenever you come to this kind of realization or pivotal point in your life. It's probably the number one thing is, you know, what is the will of God for my life? What's the purpose for my life? But the second one is, who am I supposed to marry? Right. And so there's this phrase that kind of goes about that people throw around that says, you know, when am I going to find the one? Right. And so we know you have been happily married to uh, a wonderful woman for a very long time. And so how did you know that your wife was the one? Right. I think, honestly, uh, this question for this group 
is probably the most important question. Um, probably the question we, we could, should invest the most amount of time into because it really is where you are in life. Um, the next big move, the most important move, if, and I'm assuming each of you have been filled with the Holy Ghost and made a decision to live for God, but following that decision is the decision of who you will marry. And um, so, and you can get it wrong, and, and nobody wants to say that, but I've seen great people, great guys, I had great friends, and they married the wrong girl, I had great, I went to Bible school with great girls and married the wrong guy, and it, it's just the truth, and Michelle and I will be driving down the road and we'll say, man, if they would have just married so-and-so, and I know you're not supposed to say that, but we've all thought that, we've all been like, oh, if he would have married her, they would have been amazing, and, uh, and we all laugh. But you don't want to be that guy, and you don't want to be that girl. And so how is it avoidable? That's the question. Is it avoidable uh, to where you say, uh, I'm linked up with somebody that is an unbeliever? And see, Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And we always interpret that to be, don't marry uh, a sinner. But I believe it's different. I take that another level in what I teach my young people and my hyphens is that you're not to marry someone that is an under-believer. What I mean by that, and what I think Paul even means with this, is that you should marry somebody at the same faith level. Just the fact that they go to church is not enough. Does that make sense? And so, expounding on that further, the way that I knew my wife was the one was obviously she was smoking hot. I mean... That was a major requirement for me. <laughs> and so I needed to be physically attracted to her, and I was. But attraction is not the sign that she's the one, because I'm going to be honest with you, before I was attracted to her, I had been attracted to other beautiful girls. Okay? So I don't believe that, that well, first of all, I don't believe that, that, that love is some kind of soulmate where God says, well, I made him. I know it doesn't sound romantic, but I believe that love truly is the result of a choice you make. So there's an attraction I had, but then I had to make a choice to pursue that attraction. And the truth is, you can be attracted to the wrong type of people, but you can prevent falling in love with them by making a conscious choice not to associate yourself with them. And so um, the, what, I did, what I did is I did not trust me. I didn't trust my, when I was in y'all's position, the attraction, the eros, love, the, the lust, the heartbeat, the flutters, uh, that, that feeling, I didn't trust it. Is it cool? Yeah. Do I still get it? It's great. It's a great thing to have. But I sure don't want to make a decision with my heart rate at 150, my palms sweaty, and make a life choice in that condition. So what did I do? My, here's, my, here's what I did. You don't have to do it, but it worked well for me. I've been married uh, 15 years. I've got four kids, and I'm very happily married. Matter of fact, I'm here today in large part because of my wife. And um, she really, really uh, is, other than God, the person that's had the greatest influence on me and my ministry. So I did it by having, I had what I called a, a three-vetoed system. And I gave... Three people, which one was my father, my, the other was my pastor, and then my very best friend. 
they had veto power over my relationship. They could say no to me without explanation, without reason, just on their feeling. And I promised them before I got there, I promised them I would break up with them within two weeks. Now, that's radical. But that's how much I trusted those people. And I needed to trust people that their hearts weren't pounding. They weren't in uh, attraction mode. They only cared about me. They didn't care about her. They cared about me. And so those three people were my yes. And when I got three yeses, I knew I would have the one. And so um, the, the next question is, well, did they veto anyone? Because <laughs> the true test of your submission and the true test of your life is when you, when you submit yourself to no's. When somebody, if you don't have somebody in your life that can tell you no unequivocally, then you really are not going to be successful in life. So you have to have people in your life that you trust. I mean, we can all surround ourselves. We can all ask. We all know who we need to ask if we want a yes. Hey, dude, what do you think? Should I marry her? Oh, bro, you got to marry her, man. She is awesome. You know, I mean, I, but you know who to ask if you want to know it was right. And so I did. I, I dated some other girls. Um, and they, uh, I remember I got a, a yes, yes, and then I got a no from my pastor, and I thought, and she was, I thought she was it, and I uh, really did, but uh, I didn't marry her, and today she's not living for the Lord. I, I lucked out. I would have married her had it been me. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? But I had one no, and then I had another one where it was no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> And what's amazing about her is my dad, I remember he said, she's a good girl, Matt. Um, she's going to live for God. What I loved, of course, I was raised very poor. We didn't have anything. I mean, I was a missionary's kid, and we had, uh, I got to eat chocolate Rice Krispies on the weekend. Like, that was my special thing, you know. We, it was amazing. Um, but this girl, man, her dad was loaded, had a business. She had, like, a convertible. And I was like... Yeah, you know, like, I mean, what up? I'm into this girl. So she's loaded. She's beautiful. I'm driving this convertible. Things are great. And my dad's like, she's a good girl, but you will always live uh, under her father's thumb. And uh, he said, if that's what you want, if you want to live in that state next to mom and dad, he said, but I feel like your ministry and calling is greater. And, um, and so he said, I wouldn't. And so, and then uh, the, my friends were like, my friend was like, you know, it's same kind of thing. Well, today she's doing great. She lives for God, uh, but her husband works for her dad, and they live next door to mom and dad. Is that bad? No, he's a great guy. He's very, very happy. He's very successful, makes a lot of money. They're very, very successful. That's a good thing, but had I married her, I wouldn't be here. Does that make sense? So finally, when I, when I met, as we're calling it, the one, obviously the attraction was there. Uh, I didn't wait. Don't wait a long, long time. It don't take long for your mom or dad to know if this is the right one. Because the longer you go, the harder it is to break it off. So I, uh, I uh, met Michelle at North American Youth Congress in Nashville and uh, introduced her to my family and to my pastor and friend relati relatively quick. And I'm going to tell you, my, my, my family, my pastor, my friends were like, if you don't marry her, you're an idiot. This, this is the right one. She's the one for you. And I know that's putting a lot of credit and, and, and a lot of uh, emphasis on others.
But scripture says in the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. It says plans will fail you because you didn't seek somebody's advice. So the greatest thing you have, obviously you have the Holy Ghost. But I'll be honest with you, and this might sound sacrilegious. When I'm in that place, I didn't even trust my Holy Ghost. I trusted my pastor, I trusted my dad, and I trusted my friend. Okay? So have somebody like that. And it'll... It'll make a bit, make a great uh, impact. Thank you. Make it to do. I also had, and I, I teach my young people, and I'm I'm a proponent of it. Having have your list, you know, have your list. The must and the likes, you know, must live for God. Must uh, have a prayer life. If you're called to the mission field, you know, and that's where I come back to the underbelieving thing. Look, if you have a call to the mission field, and I remember um, one thing I would do is I when I was dating a girl, you know, I'd say. Uh, uh, well, one thing I feel like I'm going to do is probably be a missionary to Africa, and we're going to live in a hut. I said, because I don't want to, you know, I, and I would be very serious. And I checked a lot off the box right there. Just like a lot of them, just like, I don't know if that's what I feel. But when you find the one, you know, what, I'm, what I mean by that, and that was me being a little stupid, but if I feel called to missions, I shouldn't marry somebody that, that doesn't want to travel does that make sense? If I feel called to pastor or if I know that God is calling me to a place of extreme sacrifice, then I, I can't be linked up with somebody that's life is linked to. Uh, they, they've got to have, you know, uh, 3,500 square feet, uh, white picket fence, a boat, a jet ski. Does that make sense? I'm not saying those things are wrong or those things are bad things to aspire to. I'm just saying if you are called to do business and you're, you feel like God is calling you to own a business and be a, a multimillionaire and you're going to have to give yourself to that business, don't marry someone, some, some, some girl or some guy that's wanting to be in ministry full time in the pulpit. Because you're going to be frustrated together. Does that make sense? Both of those are admirable things to aspire to. But do not limit yourself or put yourself in a frustrating situation to where you are linked with somebody that doesn't have a common goal or destiny. You know what I mean? So I know that's a long answer to a, perhaps what can have been a brief uh, answer. But I, I think it's so important for where you guys are. you got to marry the right girl, guys. Girls, you got to marry the right guy. And I always say, when, I'm, when, I'm got, when I was girl shopping, I didn't shop the back row. I, I wanted a girl that, that was more spiritual than me. Why do I have to marry somebody that's below me? I'm going to find somebody that prays more than me, that worships more than me. There are, there are standards that I have, holiness standards that I have today as a result of my wife that I did not have. My wife has made me more spiritual. Matter of fact, you want, can I stay here? Okay, my wife is, just, is amazing. I, when, I, when I married my wife, well, when I started dating my wife, I said, I want to I be a preacher. That's what I feel like God's calling me to be. And uh, uh, I said, but I, don't, I can't, because literally to hold a mic, I'd like beat my, I was like shaking so bad, you know, and, um, and, and I, I couldn't hold a thought. I was just, I didn't have it. So I was like, I want to be a great preacher. And, and uh, so she said, okay, well, um, I'll help you, because she, she had done uh, dramatic monologues to crowds of 30 up to 40 and 50,000 people she'd spoken to. So she was great in front of people, had a great, uh, great education, articulate, well-spoken. And, um, and so... Uh, I remember the first time she heard me preach, she had, she had like this notebook and she opens this notebook like thing and she's like writing the whole time I'm preaching. 
And I'm thinking, whoa, I mean, like, I must be imparting deep words of wisdom into this, this, this chick. Like, she's, like, receiving the word from me. I mean, like, wow. You know, this is amazing. I'm so awesome. I'm just amazing. I'm a legend. And uh, uh, so, anyway, we get in the car afterwards. And uh, she opens up her notebook. And I'm like, oh, wow, she's about to, you know. And she said, okay, the first thing you did is you never stood still. The second thing you did is you scratched your head too much. You said amen like 47 times. You did. <laughs> And I'm like, and of course, then I start justifying everything. I'm like, well, there's a reason I did that, that, that. And finally, she like closed her book. She said, if you're going to justify everything you do wrong, I can't help you. And we was just dating. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten worse. But, uh, and so I, I did. I, I took what she, and to this day, to this day, every pretty much every message I preach, it goes by her. I, I, I type my sermons word for word. She reads over them. She uh, will change things. She'll speak things. And so she's a major part of my ministry. And, um, and I, I married the right girl. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. So uh, I want to just, just tell all the young ladies, find a young man. If I was a girl looking for a guy, wanting one some dude on the back row, let me tell you, if he's too cool to give God praise, the dude that bled died for him, yeah. <laughs> he ain't going to love you. He ain't going to love you. He's going to be ashamed of you. If he's ashamed of God, come on. You don't want to fool around with that stuff. And let me tell you guys, if she's afraid of the holiness standard and she's ashamed of it, and she's ashamed to live right and dress right for the God, that died for her, she ain't the one for you. All right. I guess, I guess this is a kind of a good leeway that we're talking about how your wife was just such a pivotal part of your ministry. I guess the next question is, is how did that ministry start? How did my um, ministry start? How, was it a process over time where you hit with lightning from heaven? Right. What was it? Yeah. How did you know, like, you were called for this? I think all of us have had a moment we were hit with lightning, yeah. right? Like we've had those God, I mean, those intense, I think you have to have divine God moments. You have to have memories that sustain you, you know, like, man, I remember that, you know, uh, you can't live off of them. They're like consistently, you can't live consistently high. Uh, the ministry, what I believe your ministry will be is process. Uh, it will be a pro Everything in life is a process. It's, we as, especially our generation, we despise process. We want product. <laughs> You know, I don't care how you make the iPhone, just show up, give it to me, give it to me. And I want it to happen fast. Uh, but God is a God of, of process. It will always take more time than what you have and what you think it will because he works for your good, not for your time. And so I think you're, uh, you're you know, for me, definitely, it was, it was a process. It was a matter of, did the lightning bolt hit me? No. Uh, ministry for me has always been always been. I was raised. I was born and into it, you know. Uh, it was never a time where I was, if we were at church, I was expected to be ministering, and that could be cleaning the toilets or setting up the chairs or painting the wall or fixing a leaky plumbing line, whatever it was, but I always had an attitude, God, I will do whatever you ask, and that's, that was my prayer. That was my prayer from the, from as young of an age at a little junior youth camp, I remember laying on an altar in Oregon saying, God, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. And, um, and, I, and I did. And I, I'm not to sound vain, but I, I have. And, and I've done that through 
the voice of my, of my leadership. I look at the voice of my pastor as God's voice in my life. I always have. I looked at it when, when my pastor asked me to set up the chairs, that was God. When my, my pastor, whoever I was serving, because you serve God by serving those over you, this is a kingdom. The Bible says, thy kingdom come. That's the will of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In order for God's will to be done, his kingdom must come. What is a kingdom? A kingdom is a government. It has a king, and then there's princes, and there's rulers, and there's underneath that. Am I right? Okay, so it's government system. That's why there's even a gift of government. Church has government. And so when I submit myself to the government of God, I in turn am, I am submitting to God. Does that make sense? When I submit to uh, that, that empowers. So that empowers me. That's why submission is such a powerful, powerful thing. And, uh, um, and so when, whatever I did, that's why when, when, when my, my dad, who was my pastor, called me up, I was 28. He said, I was evangelizing. I'm sorry, I was 29. I'd been evangelizing for about six years, and I was really preaching. I really just started to click. Things were going well. Ministry was producing well. We were full-time. I had gone through that few years of extreme sacrifice, and, uh, and, and Dad calls me up. He says, hey, Matt, um, it, I feel like it's God's will for you to, to go to Holland and pastor a church for one year. And, and to be honest with you, I hated Holland. The first 17 years of my life, it was like, get me out of this place. It rains every day. It's cold. There's not a big church. It's small. It's satanic. It's evil. It's just awful. And um, I had no desire to ever go back. I told my dad that. I said, I will never come back to this place other than to visit you. But he called me up. He says, I feel like it's God's will for you to take this church of 27 people and to pastor it. Well, I mean, I'm like, oh. I hung up the phone, and I, and I said, well, let me think about it. And, man, I hung up the phone, and God said, that's never been your answer. My answer was never, I have to pray about it. No, I trust my leadership. I don't even have to. If my pastor says, go pick up the chairs, I don't say I have to pray. Well, let me pray about it. I trust him that he prayed about it. What a... Timothy didn't say, well, let me pray about it, Paul, if I'm going to go there. John Mark didn't pray, let me. No, Paul sent them, and they went. And they, guess what? They were effective, and they, they expanded. That's how the military works. That's how a kingdom works. The king says, go, and you go. And if you're going to say, he's the master and I'm the servant, then you can't argue with his commands. And I know that sounds militant, but in a way, that's what we've been teaching us since we were kids. I'm in the Lord's army. Excuse, what's the next words? Yes sir. yes, sir. And when God calls me or speaks to me, it is. But he's not going to call you to preach North American Youth Congress first. Oh, yes, sir. Everybody's got a yes, sir, for that one. It's going to be, let's go to Holland where it's cold and there's 27 people. It's going to be set up the chairs. It's going to be, come on, probably doing a whole lot of background building this set. And didn't they do a great job? Setting up this stage. Somebody did all that. Does that make sense? Somebody set up that whole stage out there at HYC. Somebody in your youth group. Somebody gets to your church early and opens the doors. Somebody cleans the carpet. Somebody cleans the pews. Somebody does all that. And guess what? If you've never done that, you'll never be where I'm at if that's what you aspire to be. Does that mean? And I don't mean that derogatorily or negative. But if you, despise, if you are, don't despise the small things. For in those things, they are what unlock 
the great things. Does that make sense? You just talked a little bit about submission, and I know that's something that we personally struggle with as young adults. Some of us do. And so it kind of leeways into our next question. What struggles that you feel comfortable sharing with us as a young adult did you face, and, and how did you overcome them? Well, you know, and like the submission, it's like the curse word of all time. Because, you know, that's, the, that's, the, that's satanic. Satan is a rebel, you know. Uh, and, and never think, Satan's desire was never to, to be greater than God. His desire was to be equal to God. And so that's why it's a very alive in our culture today. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. We all equal. That's what socialism is. That's what communism is. We all the same. We all the same. And we are all the same. Jesus loves us all the same. But he does anoint and he does call and he does pull out and he does elevate. Does that make who I'm submitted to better than me? No. It just means that they are in a place of authority over, meaning that I am empowered. The police officer, like, let's put it this way. If I'm parked out here in the fire lane, okay, and, and big old, who's the buffest guy we got in here other than me? I know I'm probably the buffest, but, like, some guy that's really ripped, anybody, like, okay, this dude right here, he's pretty tall, stand up. You're like, you big old dude, you know. Okay, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, stand up, stand up real quick, you know. He writes a ticket, and he's like, yo, what's your name? Andrew, I can bench press 437 pounds with my left hand. You know, I'm like ripped. I'm mean. I'm tough. And so I'm parked in the fire lane out there, and he writes me a little, you can be seated. Uh, yeah. We're, hey, he's probably single. You're welcome. Amen. Yeah. Uh, he writes me a little ticket on his little, on his little notepad, you know, pay $200 to Andrew because you parked in the fire lane. Yeah. <laughs> Puts it on my car. I'm going to walk out and be like, Andrew, who? Rip that up, throw it in the trash. I don't care. But then you got a little girl that's 75 pounds with her little police uniform on. She rides a ticket and puts it on. I'm going to pay that ticket. You know why? Because she submitted. She submitted to the police department. And if I don't pay it, the police department's going to back it up. And, if they, and then they got the military. Next thing you know, I got Donald Trump and bazookas on my door. <laughs> Does that make sense? So she is, who's more powerful? She is. She might only be 75 pounds and not be able to bench press 40, 430 pounds, but she's more powerful. So you can get in and pray 37 hours a day and, and, and do all this stuff, and that's good. That's good. You can know the Bible backwards, wear all white, baked peanut brittle, Bible quiz. But, but the new convert that comes in and is submitted and just learns how to say, yes, sir, is more powerful than you. In the eyes of God, he looks down and says, she understands delegated authority. Only, yeah, there's only two times in Scripture. I mean, without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the, everything in my life revolves around faith. I must have faith, right? So if you were God and you, if you were to read scripture and you could get a compliment from Jesus, the greatest compliment that Jesus could ever give me would not be what I was wearing, how I preached, how I sang. But if he were to say, wow, your faith, yeah. right? That's like ultimate compliment. Am I right? Yeah. There's only two people in the whole Bible Jesus ever complimented their faith. Two times that he said, whoa, that's faith. One time was a lady whose daughter had a devil. 
She went after Jesus. She worshiped him. Jesus, thou son, she didn't care what anybody thought. She worshiped him. Remember, she, he said, I can't give you bread. You're a dog. Remember, she, he calls her a dog. And she says, Lord, the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He says, oh, my goodness, this lady has faith. She won't give up. She's a worshiper. She, then there's one other time. And it was a man who was a centurion, meaning he was a powerful ruler of a hundred men. And he came to God, Jesus. He said, I have a need. I have a need back at my house, and you can fix it. And, and Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house. And you remember what the man said? He said, you don't even have to come to my house. He said, I understand authority. He said, I am a man of authority. And I understand, I'm not like everybody else that has to have a personal visit by, from the pastor. I understand that you can speak and it will happen. Yeah. Yeah. What am I saying? And Jesus said, it's like his mind was blown. He's like, boys, that's great faith. What was the great faith? The faith that he had was the confidence in God's government. He understood delegated authority. Amen. If you could ever understand that and some, be willing to submit yourself into the system of God. Come on. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. Go, go be by yourself. Go be a loser. But you're going to have to be part of the team. You're going to have to be a part of the team and learn to say, yes, sir, I'm on it. Let me do it and do it with all your might. Okay. So anyway, wow, way off, but good thought. That, yeah. Cool. I think you hit it. And I think, I think you really. Oh, and that. my struggles. struggles. What do I struggle with? Yeah. <laughs> so I struggle with submission. Doesn't sound like a lot. I but. think we all struggle with submission. <laughs> we all struggle with submission. I, I struggle. I, I think you never stop struggling. It's not like, whoa, I'm 38 four kids and I don't have struggles anymore and I think some of them you struggle with because some things are generational you know your family my 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 mother's side of the family uh extremely battles with anxiety really really bad so I still do I still have some of that spirit you know spirit of fear some of it's generational some of it's genetic and um so I, I battle anxiety uh fear of failure is is a major thing that I've always had uh a need to please people you know like oh I'm, I'm gonna let them down you know and so I I, I, that's something I struggled with. I still do. Um, struggled with when I was a young teenager. I struggled with sports tremendously. I played basketball. You say you struggle with sports. I did. I, I, you know, I played basketball, and I was in Europe. Um, and, I mean, I'm not like an amazing basketball player, but when I was 16, I did get offered to play for a European League basketball team, money, and I could have done that. Um, and it was tempting. Um, probably would have never gone anywhere but I was going to miss Sunday services and miss church. And I knew I was at a pivotal turning point. I think sports really is the God of this world. I, I know that's a very touchy subject in this generation, but because I've battled with it, I, I can, I can, I do personally now, I've just kind of cut that out of my life. Uh, when I see how people respond to that, when they're filling up stadiums of 50, 60 and a hundred thousand people and they're screaming and they're charging, I mean, hundred thousand dollars a ticket to sit courtside nowadays. I mean, that's if you can't say that if you don't agree that that's idolatry i just i don't see how we can't see that that to me is amazing to me that we as the church can't realize that lifting our hands clapping and shouting the name of a man isn't worship it's astounding to me but uh, again that's a very very touchy subject i'm going to leave it to you but for me personally it was a struggle so i cut it out i cut it out um obviously i'm a man so my eyes um that will always be a battle men it will. It's always going to be a battle. Uh, the man, 
a young man was sitting on the porch with an old man. He, this guy was like 19. He's talking to this guy 95. And the, young, the 19 year old says, so man, at what age did you stop thinking about sex? And the 95 year old said, you're gonna have to find someone older than me. <laughs> so, I mean, we live in the most sexualized culture in the history of the world. Uh, it's blatant, you can access it right here. Anything you want, crazy things. So you better have a filter. And you better have accountability partners. Yeah. Hey, and I'm not just talking to dudes. Chicks, y'all yeah. crazy too? <laughs> you better have an accountability. There's not a computer in my house that doesn't have, I don't have filter, but what I have is any website that's questionable sends an alert to my pastor, my best friend, and my wife. Come on. Yeah. And I'm a pastor yeah. because I, I don't, I'm not going to live my life and in, in put myself in a place of temptation. Right. Okay. God, I, that's a subject we don't talk enough about. Everybody gets up and says, God's going to deliver you from pornography. Yeah, and you come up and cry, and three days later, you got to take steps. And you got to be accountable. And the Bible says that the, you got to confess your faults one to another. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you don't have somebody you've confessed and talked to, you will continually fall. Okay? And it's not weak to say, hey, pastor, hey, dad whoever that person is in your life, I got a problem and I need some help, okay? Okay, you're not the only one. I was in a men's meeting and I asked the question, how many of you have intentionally or unintentionally ever seen pornography? And I was in a men's conference of a thousand men, men from the age of 80 down to 18. Every hand, 1,000 men, preachers, pastors, went up. We've all been exposed to it. I know it's quiet now, but I'm right. And, uh, and so then you have to take steps, dedicating and disciplining yourself to say, I'm going to live a pure life. Amen. It, it's hard. It is hard. I'm not going to say it's easy. But you can do it. You can, we can do it. Amen. You can maintain <laughs> purity. It's cool. It's cool. You won't regret it. I did it. I lived in Amsterdam, and I did it. And if I can do it in Amsterdam... And you can do it here. Yeah. I guess that brings us to our next question, and it's, what do you think the biggest hindrance to revival is in our generation? Um, oh, man, that's a great question. I think the greatest hindrance to revival in our generation, I think we're having revival. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I don't want to turn this into a negative discussion, I want it to be positive. I think from what I'm seeing, we are baptizing, or someone's receiving the Holy Ghost, what, every 23 seconds. So, you know, I think the devil's trying to hinder us. Um, sometimes we're our greatest enemies, you know. Um, I think our own, I see our own desires, maybe our own. I, I fear, what I fear traveling and seeing is a desire that we have to become like every other church organization that's growing, like that we feel we have to have church, our style, our method, our everything has to be like what's branded on the internet by these mega charismatic churches. I believe that what got us here will take us there. I'm, I'm old fashioned, I'm old school. I love what got us here. 
I don't think we have to change the recipe. I like the recipe. And I think the darker the night, the more we can celebrate the light. The crazier the world gets. And let me tell you, we are in this world that's looking for a banner. They're flying a banner. They're looking for a radical cause. You talk about a radical world. We're in a world that's promoting a man chopping off things so he can be a woman. We're talking about, come on, there ain't no world, there ain't no pastor ever had to deal with that. Like, hey, pastor, I just want to talk to you. I don't feel like I'm a man no more. That's the world we're living in. We're living in a world where only 2% of our population is homosexual, but a majority is flying the, those marches, those aren't being marched, those marches, gay pride parades, aren't filled with primarily homosexuals. They're filled with people your age that want a cause. They want something radical, so they, they tattoo their eyeballs and shave their heads, and they go nuts. This world's going nuts. Crazy to be rebellious. And I'm like, we got the, cra- you want to rebel? Join the team. You want to be weird? Don't cut your hair if you're a girl. Dress like a man if you're a man. Come on. Have church, not a club. We're not a club. We don't need our churches to look like clubs. Come on, somebody. Shout, dance, run, roll, scream, be loud, be radical. That's what they're looking for. The greatest hindrance is a fear that who we are isn't enough. No, if we become like them, what draws them to us? Does that make sense? There's nothing. We must cherish, we must love, and we must celebrate. Celebrate. I'm looking for how I can be more like Jesus and less like the world. When I walk in the mall, I do not want them to think I'm one of them. If I, was, if I was a girl, I'd be like, yes. Come on, these Muslims, they wear their hair stuff. They got, come on. I've been to Dubai. All you can see are their eyeballs. They'll do all that for a God. They never even felt the Holy Ghost. All they do that for is because they're afraid. I'm not afraid. What an honor to be a holiness-loving person. I love our lifestyle. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. What's What's next? This is our last one, so we're going to let you off after this, but uh, do whatever the, the Spirit of God tells you after this question, but uh, this is, I guess, what we've kind of coined as the deathbed question oh. <laughs> for all of our hyphen conversation uh, people, but basically, what do you think um, we need, this generation needs to have the greatest revival? What do you think that, that this generation um, needs to just continue pushing the call and the kingdom of God in, in our generation. Um, if I can kind of put it a little bit more shortly um, or a little bit more condensed, I guess what the question is, is if you were on your deathbed, what would you say to this generation? The final thing that you would say to us. I would say the church doesn't owe you anything. You owe the church everything. I would say work hard hard don't be lazy 
You got, it's going to take, pray you therefore. There's only one prayer request Jesus gave. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth workers, people that would work. I need people. He said, I need people. And to be honest with you, as a pastor, I pastor a church. I've got about 700 people. And what I need is, even though I have an attendance of 700, I probably only have 70 that work. If I could get all 700 to work, to do what they need to do, I could, I could, reach, my whole, I could reach my whole state. To work without expecting anything in return. To work without worrying about their name, reward. To work without having to be applauded. To just work because you love and you believe in the mission to your very core. That if you never stand on a stage, it doesn't matter. If I never get recognized, it doesn't matter. All I want to do is my life to matter in eternity. That I lived my life and it was used. If you say, Lord... I want you to use me. Do you want God to use you? If you want God to use you, I just want you to raise your hand. Okay, now, put your hand down. Because the last time someone looked at me and it was on a basketball court and they said, Bo, you just got used. Does anybody know what that means? That means I just got taken advantage of. It means somebody just, oh, man, they just ripped me. They took from me. I got used. I got taken advantage of. You just all raised your hand and said, I want to be used. But the interpretation in modern Christianity of being used means. But that's not what being used, when you raised your hand, that's not what God saw. He said, okay, good, I can take advantage of you. I, I can. I can. I can take your career for my benefit. I can take your strength for my benefit. I can take your intelligence for the kingdom's benefit. Does that make sense? So, Lord, I'm like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord. You can put a baby inside of me, then I'm not going to know. I'm not going to know how to explain this. It's going to be taking advantage of my life. Come on. It's going to change my whole life. All the, the career plans are out the door. I can't get into college no more because I got pregnant out of wedlock. Come on. Uh, I'm going to give birth to Jesus Christ. Behold, though, you can use me. You can use me. Take advantage of me. Take advantage of me. Use me. Let him use you. And I promise you, as he uses you, he will bless you. He will bless you as you give yourself to the kingdom of God. You, it'll take you places you could have never imagined. You can't give yourself to God and him not give himself completely to you. So don't expect anything. Go in giving everything. Give, be willing to be used. And I would say the missing ingredient with what I said last night is prayer. I know that's not the cool thing to say. But you've got to pray. If, if you don't have a prayer life, you will not sustain. But we can unlock demonstration. Last year, the Lord spoke to me to my church and uh, about in Joel, they prayed between the porch and the altar. And I've started teaching my church the importance of getting to the, to the church to pray. I know some of you maybe aren't able to. You rent a building. But if you have a key and you're able to get to your church building, I would encourage you this year, get to 
the church building. If you can't get to the building, get to a room. Set a room aside in your home that's separated unto the Lord. If that's a closet, if that's the bathroom, whatever it is, get to a specific place that when you walk in, you, you changed in the natural and you just know there was something, I don't know how, but it's something happens. They went at the hour of prayer to the temple. There's something powerful about going to a place of prayer. And you develop that at this, my God, if I could go back to being your age, what I would do is pray more. That's, that's, my life's been amazing. I've, I've really made some dumb choices, but for the most part, they've been good. The only thing I didn't do enough of is pray. Pray more, guys. I know that's crazy, but it, it works. It's amazing. You'll unlock, you'll unlock the supernatural. You'll unlock, the armor of God is unlocked. Just keep reading Ephesians chapter 6. It's unlocked in the prayer room. That's where you use the sword. It's in the prayer room. Amen? I love you guys. Y'all are absolutely amazing. I, I've sensed, I do sense, what an amazing group here. I see kids standing along the back for Q&A. This doesn't ever happen. I do quite a few of these. And uh, I can sense in this one there's something special. I really do feel there's something special in this room here today. Um, there's such a passion and a deep desire for the things of God, a hunger in this generation. And while we can talk about everything that's wrong with our generation, I believe there's a whole lot right. You guys have the greatest opportunity. We have airplanes. We have more money than we've ever had. We have technology. We can reach the whole globe from California. So let's do it. Let's change our world. It's just, it's just the beginning of what God's going to do. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for letting me be here. We hope you enjoyed this, and if you did, please consider rating and sharing.